Kay was really close to her family and had a pretty tight-knit community around her. As in, if she ever had children, there was no need to worry about a babysitter. I mean, she would have inherited 15 acres of land. Like, her father knew how to build a house from the ground up, for God's sakes. Now, things took a different turn. Kay wanted to wait to come out to her parents, and, well, someone else broke the news when she was in college. It wasn't exactly an easy time for everyone. Here's Kate describing why. Who I am as an individual is someone that they don't agree with at a fundamental level. And so she parted ways with her parents. Now, it was hard emotionally, of course, but there are also financial opportunity costs. So what were they? And did Kate end up reconciling with her parents? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Kate Howerton, a financial counselor and coach, comes on the show to talk about the time she left for college and then her parents found out that she was lesbian. She chats about how she was still able to afford college, what the true costs were for her after she came out, and how her money relationship has changed since fully becoming part of the LGBTQ community. Now stick around to the end where I distill some takeaways from our conversation, including why the number in your savings account may be more complicated than you think. Now before we get started, I do want to let you know I created a new guide on emotional spending, which is a part of kicking butt in your financial life. It gives you some quick solutions you can do right now, plus a few techniques that will help you manage those pesky emotions over the long term. You know, like when you're tempted to blow $700 on a robotic pool cleaner. To grab the guide, please head over to beyondthedollar.co slash spending. Now get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Kate, welcome to Beyond the Dollar. So excited to have you on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming out and sharing your story. So let's get right into it. Talk me through the moment when you came out to your parents and what was their reaction what was yours and yeah generally what was going on yeah so you know I, I grew up in rural Arkansas and I would say a little bit of the backstory is that I was raised in a a fairly religious family they are all Baptists so as far as that goes there's um, it's, it's pretty conservative and so certainly being LGBTQ, wasn't just something that you did or something that you were if you were a member of our community. And so I kind of knew that I was different all through high school. I had a lot of crushes on women, etc. But I waited to come out until I was 18 in that college. With that, I, I went to a, a smaller Division II university. You know, I chose that school for a multitude of reasons, one being that it was still pretty close to home, but also I had a, a full ride. So it was you know, going to school on their dime. But I went to school with a friend of mine from high school and she came home and let her parents know. They were kind of like, you know, what's new? What's going on? They're like, well, yeah, you know, she's like, actually, Kate's a lesbian. (laughs) Unfortunately, her stepmom cuts my dad's hair. So for me, it was one of those situations that I actually wasn't ready to come out. And it wasn't a conversation that I got to have with my parents directly. You know, that night or the next night, I got a call from home and my parents didn't take it well. And for sake of their protection, because we have since really worked on that relationship over the years, you know, I won't kind of dive into the exact specifics of that conversation, but in the least, it went really awfully. And so kind of the aftermath of that 
is the next, you know, three, four years all during undergrad, it was pretty tense. And I went from a relationship of really being incredibly close with my parents to not really wanting to be in the same room alone. And yeah, so that, that's a little bit about kind of like that overall coming out story. So I know you mentioned you waited till you were 18. So was that partially so that when you did go off to college, you were able to feel more yourself and able to express yourself a little bit more? Whereas if you were still home, it might have been a bit more difficult? You know, I don't know that it was really even given that much thought because there was so much social influence within religion there that I knew that I was different in high school and I knew that I had crushes on women, but I thought maybe it was just that I wanted to be their friend. So truthfully, deeper levels of friendship, et cetera, emotional intimacy that I wasn't necessarily getting. So with this, when I got to college, I think I just had the freedom to explore who I was versus who I was told to be. It's great that you had a full ride, like you mentioned. Now, in terms of other like expenses, like everyday expenses, like food, like were your parents supporting you at the time or were you working to supplement that? You know, my parents were really, really good about while in high school, making sure that I had essentially what I needed. But I started working when I was 16 and I worked three or four days a week, even if it's a school year, part time. And so anything that I wanted, I took care of. Now they would, they would pay for like clothes typically a couple times a year, right before school started and maybe a few extra items in winter. But as far as going to college, my parents instilled a lot of values of education is important. So when I got to the point of actually being there, but when I say full ride, it, I had a stipend. I was being paid to go to college. So books, room and board, the whole kit and caboodle were covered and I would get, get a couple thousand back each semester and I would budget that. With this, I also still worked a part-time job while in school to cover anything extra. I had taken out a small loan to cover my car payment. I got a pretty reasonable one whenever I left to go to college. But yeah, so I would say... 90% of what I was doing was, it was on me. Right. So it sounds like you had a pretty good head on your shoulders in terms of allocating your money to make sure that you were basically taken care of, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's great that that was there for you. I know we've, we've talked a little bit before this that for some college students who do come out, unfortunately, that's not the case. But I do want to talk about the emotional side of it. I think that does and can affect your money. And I, I'm really interested in terms of when the conversation you weren't ready for happened and you went back, you were still in college. Maybe you weren't, I'm going to assume, talking terms. Were you feeling like you were grieving your relationship? Was there things that you felt like, oh no, how is this going to affect my finances after college? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would say for me, that's probably the part where especially the money story gets is most involved is after college. For me, with growing up in a, in a rural hometown, my dad's other family all reside within 15 minutes of one another. And so I grew up with a huge community of people. And honestly, I didn't really know outside of those bounds that that wasn't the experience that all Americans have. Now, of course, as an adult, I realized it's vastly different for most people. So as soon as that news broke, I kind of became an outsider. I was on the periphery and on the margins of I'm completely different from everyone else within my family. And not only am I just different, like as far as like I want to wear a different style of clothing, or maybe I'm I'm looking at, you know, moving away and people don't necessarily do that from my hometown. I am who I am as an individual is someone that they don't agree with at a fundamental level. And so it brought up a lot of shame for me 
if you or your your listeners follow the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram type two. And so it's kind of rooted in the, the shame center or in the emotion center, which kind of brings up shame. And so I really struggled with that relationship because I received so much judgment and so much, you know, condemnation from my family, my my mother and father that I didn't really want to go home. I didn't necessarily want to go to family events. And while they created distance, I also created distance for fear of rejection. And that was amidst during undergrad. And then post undergrad, you know, when I'm looking at graduating, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, you know, what's next? The recession had just happened in 2008. I graduated undergrad in 2012. So the market had started to pick up a bit, but really not to the extent just quite yet. And as I was making plans, what I wanted most was to be out of Arkansas. I wanted to be out of a place that was politically conservative, religiously conservative. And I wanted to go somewhere that I could just be me. But that really came at the cost of money. And that came at the cost of figuring out each of these next steps as far as moving, where to live. If I'm going to go to school or get a job, how will I support myself all on the notion of, you know, I may not have a backup plan. I may not have a safety net. And so really, I became my own safety net. And so that it was a pretty big financial flashpoint for me. But even now I'm 30 and it still influences that if I don't have a particular number in my savings account, I'm going to freak out because I quote unquote can't take care of myself. Right. So it sounds like money really represents safety for you then. Oh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, absolutely. Did you decide to do postgrad studies basically because of the recession? Like you weren't sure what you were going to do or was that for another reason? I think kind of both. I think I was kind of a young kid who didn't know what to do. I think this was also kind of the day and age where it was kind of a lot of people were talking about you're going to have to have a master's that a bachelor's degree is essentially going to be just the next high school diploma. And that was kind of when that talk began. It was also just I have no idea. And I know that student loans exist. So if a graduate degree, I have a couple more years to figure this out and a couple more years of kind of safety financially versus going out, trying to find a job, navigate that by myself, you know, paying bills, so on and so forth. So at this point, did you take out student loans? I did. I did. Okay. So you were kind of looking at postgrad as a little bit of a, I'm going to air quote safety net <laughs> because you weren't sure what you're going to do. And you mentioned that you did want to move out of Arkansas. So how did you decide which state or which area you wanted to move to? Yeah. So I had a friend at the time who came into my life who had explored quite a bit, had traveled quite a bit. And I had a conversation with her and I initially was going to just go to the University of Arkansas, which is about four hours from home. And she kind of told me, she's like, you know, Kate, you're really limiting yourself because you're scared. You're scared of failure. You're scared of trying something new. I told her that I want to go somewhere. People have a good time and that there's culture. People will dance and sing and, you know, have fun and not be so worried about what they look like. And I think a lot of that came from my religious background. I was highly pissed off at religion for just kind of telling everyone how to live and what they can do and what's bad and what's good and this being used against people. And so I I started looking about eight to 10 hours away from my hometown. So, you know, even after it being really difficult with my family, I still wanted to be close to them. I still, if something happened with my brother or sister-in-law who I had awesome relationships with or my nephew, I wanted to be able to get home. So I, I looked around at Texas, Missouri, Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana, you know, still highly within the South. And I looked at when looking in Louisiana, I found New Orleans and I fell in love. It kind of ticked off all of those boxes that I was looking for while still being close enough to home. So talk to me about the moving expenses. At this point, did you 
save up money? Like, I guess, how did that work? So in contrast to what a lot of Americans experience, I actually had financial literacy education. I had it all throughout my sixth grade year. So our teachers all throughout the year, they taught us about money and having funny money and writing checks and having a bank account. And we, we had a system of like a little economy. I had really good money habits from that and then probably watching my dad. And so who likewise had good money habits. And as I was working in college, as I received stipends each semester, I put it in savings. So I, I had several, several thousand in savings put away from my undergrad those four years. I also took out a, I think it was like a $2,000 loan from a credit union. And so I, I knew about the power of personal loans and interest and so on and so forth. And so I did it as, I suppose it would be a title loan, but not at like a title loan down the street, you know, type place. I put the collateral was my vehicle. And so I paid it off. I think it was like a hundred bucks a month or 150 a month at once I moved to New Orleans slowly. So I did, did it twofold as one to, to pad my, my bank account and have a little bit more in savings, you know, as I moved down there, but two to further build my credit. So that's, that's kind of where I got started. I think I had like 4,000 initially in savings. I added another two to it and, and I went. Wow. That's amazing that you had financial literacy classes and you used it. I think that's that's amazing. And you're right that not many Americans have that experience. I do want to comment too that it sounds like it took a lot of self-reflection in order to even come up with those decisions. Like it sounded like, okay, well, I still want the safety net of a savings account, but I really want to move to New Orleans. So I'm going to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. Okay. So you moved and then did you stay there after you you completed your postgrad? Yeah. So I, I did my MBA, finished with my MBA and I was there for a bit longer. I was recruited for a position in Atlanta and I I went and I hated Atlanta and I swore that I would never go back. And I actually moved back to New Orleans for about two more years. I really loved the city. I ended up taking a job there. I bought a house. I thought I was in it for the long run. And around that same time frame, I was trying to get into financial services from the from the fiduciary financial planning side or financial coaching side. And I just wasn't finding the level of work that I needed to be able to do this full time. So I was actually kind of just doing pro bono financial coaching or doing it for trying to build my own coaching business, etc. And it wasn't really working out for me in the way that I wanted it to be a full-time gig. And I found the company that I'm with now. It's called SmartPath. And unfortunately, they were in Atlanta. And so <laughs> up I went back. So it's a silly little ping pong back and forth. So that's that's where I am now. And I have a tenant for my house in New Orleans who's wonderful. And I rent now in, in Atlanta. So I'm probably here for not good for a long time. Before we move on, can you just explain what Fudish means to the listeners? Absolutely. So fiduciary, which is F-I-D-U-C-I-A-R-Y, is a fancy word, which means always doing what's best for you as a client or, you know, for, the, for your client. So you, we have fiduciary protections at the ERISA level, which is, you know, the retirement and insurance level. So on 401ks, pensions, etc. But even within recent laws at the federal level, not all financial planners are guaranteed to be a fiduciary, which is so scary. But I wanted to make sure that I, I was working with a firm where 
everything I did, every bit of advice I gave was for the best interest of my client. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. So I do want to talk about the financial repercussions, I guess we can say even beyond like you mentioned post-grad. So yes, you had to move, you took out what you called a title loan, you put your car down as collateral. So obviously that was a, a consequence of that. But I do want to talk more about the opportunity cost. Like now that you're still fairly close to your family, but you're not close, like what would you say that had an effect on your money? I would say there's going to be a therapy cost. So if so, that's obviously not an opportunity cost, but just emotionally, I've done a lot of therapy from the time that I came out until now. So over the course of you know, 11, 12 years. And therapy is not cheap. And so depending upon if you have insurance, it can be anywhere from $45 an hour to without insurance, it can be 150 an hour. And if you're, you know, add that up, if you're seeing a therapist once a week, that's pretty expensive. You know, regarding opportunity costs and the distance that I have for my family, the literal distance, if I would have stayed there in Arkansas, I had, you know, 15, 20 acres of land that, that I would have been able to live on. My community is incredibly talented as far as their abilities. My dad built my mom and dad's house from, you know, from the ground up. And so I would have had a mechanic, an electrician, and a plumber, and, you know, and, and, and babysitters, doctors within my community that I could have relied on. So each of those things has a cost. So for me and my partner now within Atlanta, if when we have children, children, we're going to have to pay for a babysitter. You know, anytime that we want to go out and have a reprieve, that's going to be a cost. If someone passed away in Arkansas, people were lining up out the door, bringing lasagnas and chili and blah, 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 and being there in the way of tangible and emotional support. So each of those things costs. I mean, I, I took my car to the mechanic a couple of months ago and it was like 700 bucks because I, I have an older vehicle, but that would have been like a $45 part at a auto parts store that my dad would have been able to do for free. Now, fortunately for me and converse to a lot of people within the LGBTQ community, I could probably move home now, but it still fully wouldn't feel good. I would still be, you know, on the margins and someone who's who's very, very different. Right. And so I know you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation that over the years that you've sort of come to, I guess, come to terms with your parents. So how did that happen? And what, what do you hope in terms of a relationship with them moving forward? I would say that it was difficult for my parents. And I think it's difficult for a lot of parents that when their children come out, because parents have this idea of who their children are, who they'll become. And, you know, even if they're not fundamentally religious or conservative, you know, politically, there's still things that they hope for their kids to be. And so I wasn't that, you know, I wasn't the girl in a dress and like bows. I wasn't, I, they likewise had to grieve the notion of me getting married to a man and being feminine and kind of being their Southern girl daughter. I broke that entire mold for them. So for several years, I think it was fear. I think it was for them, they had a lot of fear about my safety, a fear about my acceptance. I think that they probably felt like they failed as parents, especially within our community, because that's not something that's accepted within our religion. And so I think it was tough. They had to come to terms with who I was in the same way that I did. And we had a lot of tough conversations. My dad and I wouldn't discuss it directly, but my mom and I would. And we would argue. My mom would say a comment about my hair or about my appearances, and I would push back. And so for me, I think I have something that's not all people have is that incredibly <laughs> direct and sometimes too direct. And so I would push and challenge my mom and dad's way of thinking. You know, I introduced a new idea to their life that wasn't a part of their everyday and in a part of their bubble. 
We've had a lot of conversations and there's been time and there's been boundary setting. And I think because of their inherent love for me as parents, they've accepted that it's not changing. I mean, especially after 12 years, <laughs> but it's just been a journey. And so for now, as far as moving forward, we're good. I mean, they, they know my partner. They came and spent spent several days with us here in Atlanta at our home. And my partner went home with us for Christmas as she wasn't welcome to her family's Christmas with me. So they, they kind of told her that she could come as long as she didn't bring her girlfriend. And so she came home with me and my mom had a stocking for her. And, you know, my mom calls her and, and texts her and stuff. And so moving forward, I think it's probably tolerance, not full on acceptance or even affirmation of who we are, but nonetheless, they treat us with love. Wow. So throughout your whole kind of journey, figuring out your identity and all of that, what would you say is the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself and how you manage your money? I think the biggest thing that I've, I've learned about myself is that I can do this, whatever this is. For a long time, I, I had a lot of attachment issues. And that kind of comes back to this theory within psychology called attachment theory. And it's about how we relate to our primary caregivers and our, our, the people that we primarily love. I was scared to be apart from my community. I was scared. I was scared to be alone. And through kind of forcing myself to do new things and go new places and be in places where I literally don't know a soul, I've found that I have a lot of self-reliance now. I'm not really scared to embark on new journeys because I know that I'll figure it out. So I would say resilience and, and problem solving definitely are things that came of this. In, in the way of finances, I recognize that I have to have a particular amount of money in my savings or I'm going to kind of I'm gonna kind of geek out a little bit because I'm going to feel like I'm not able to take care of things. But with that, I've, I've even challenged my own notions. And there's been times that I've dipped down and I've worked through or working through understanding that it's okay, that I have credit if need be, I've made sure to remain as debt-free as possible. And now I am debt-free with the exception of student loans. And yeah, so I think I always keeping in mind what amount of money do I need to have so that I'm okay. And then also kind of working on my profession. I never want to be in a point of not having that stability for myself because I don't want to be reliant on someone else's income or someone else's assistance. So that's probably a kind of couple of big themes financially for me. Awesome. So Kate, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, I work for SmartPath. So you can find my work web is joinsmartpath.com. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Kate Howerton and it's C-A-I-T. H-O-W-E-R-T-O-N or on LinkedIn, you know, connect with me however, if you'd like to reach out. Kate, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kate. Just some really wonderful insights. And I really just appreciated and admired how much empathy she had for her parents. So if you recall that part of the conversation, she really was just talking about the idea of her parents are human. They have fears just like all of us. And when you do something or you are something, you know, whatever you want to interpret it as, and it's taking them away from everything they know, it's obviously going to scare them and they're going to react in certain ways. It doesn't mean they love you any less. It really does have to do about them. Now, of course, it affects you, right? With, with Kate, she may not be able to inherit the 15 acres of land. She doesn't have a babysitter. She was talking about she could have just only spent $45 on a car part and said she paid $700 to get her car fixed. So those are real costs financially from being away from your community. And 
not being accepted in, in whatever facets of your identity that would be. So I really liked the insightful comment that Kate had mentioned about the idea of her parents really grieving the notion of Kate not being what they thought or who they thought she was going to be. And I think ultimately speaking with a lot of people from the LGBTQ community and even just growing up in the way that I did. And it just seems like I think parents really just ultimately want what's best for us. And the way they show it or the way they express it may not be the healthiest way or it may not be in a way that is going to be helpful for their children, right? And so I think in those cases, it's really helpful to see your parents as humans. Doesn't mean you can reconcile with them right away. If ever, it doesn't mean that you have to forget anything that they've done if it was something hurtful. It just means really giving them sort of the opportunity, I guess you can say, to say, okay, like, I get what's going on here. Can we figure out some way to have a relationship if that's really what you want to do? And I think the other thing that the theme that kind of kept coming up over and over again when I was talking with Kate, it's the idea of money is a way to express who you are. So I think the term money provides freedom is a really great kind of general description of it. But I think in this case, freedom really meant the idea of like, I can just go and be who I am and not really worry about the repercussions. Now, for some people who are financially dependent on their parents or financially dependent on a relationship, it may be a little bit more difficult to come out, to walk away from a relationship, to do certain things because of the limitations of their financial situation. Maybe they can't afford to move out of their home. Maybe you are a college student that is relying on your parents to pay tuition. And if you come out now, you're going to lose that. There are so many things that money can provide. And I think ultimately it's this idea of, again, freedom, being able to express who you are. And I do have a lot of empathy and sympathy for people who are in those positions. And I, you know, going back when I mentioned the intro that we're going to talk about the idea of your savings account, I think what Kate was really illustrating is really interesting. And I think very common in that this number in your savings account represents something more than the amount of money in the bank. In her case, it represents the idea of like, can I take care of myself? I have no safety net. I am my own safety net. I can't really go back to my parents. It's just not a possibility. I know I personally related a lot to that. I think I'm in a similar position in terms of the fact that I am my own safety net. And whether or not that's really true, it's just a story that I have in my head where I need a huge savings account or a huge amount in my savings account because I'm not going to feel safe, right? For you, it might be other things. Maybe a lower amount in your savings account is fine because you're really confident in the idea of you being able to make money on a whim, right? And so my challenge for you, there's nothing that you can take away from this amazing story, is to think about how much money it will take for you to feel safe and why is that? And only you can really provide that answer. Now, for example, my reason why a huge savings account is going to make me feel safe is quite different from than obviously what Kate's is, and it will be different from yours. So I'm really interested in hearing that. You can definitely find me on Instagram at Beyond the Dollar. Now, if you liked this episode or if you're just a big fan of Beyond the Dollar, listen to a couple of episodes and you feel like this episode's really relevant or another episode that you've heard is really re- relevant, please share with a friend. 
There are a gazillion links, and I know I'm over-exaggerating, but a lot of links out there that you can share with them if they listen to podcasts already, share with them on the app that they use, or share the link on beyondthedollar.co. So thank you again for listening. And until next time, please go live beyond the dollar. Thank you so much for listening and on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. So tag them on Instagram when I post up in the dollar or send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, feel free to download the Value Space Spending Guide. So what it is, is you're going to be able to gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values and how we can start putting money towards those things. So to download the value space spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. So thank you again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, thank you to Donovan Durant again for providing this awesome theme song. <laughs>